When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Tuned in to the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by our tribe beat writer, Paul Hoynes, who was not called out for interference last night. Paul, uh, <laughs> unlike Trey Turner, you were safe at first. Uh, what do you make of the, the most controversial call in game six that, that turned out to, to not really sort of impact things uh, as much as it was originally sort of feared? Uh, because Anthony Rendon comes up, hits a home run, and the Nats win game six force a game seven, but the, the interference call at first base is what everybody is still talking about. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, the home plate umpire, Sam Holbrook, technically probably made the right call, but I thought it was a reach, Joe. I thought he inserted himself into the game unnecessarily. I mean, how many times have we seen that play during the seasons, mm-hmm. during the last two seasons? I, you know, it wasn't like Turner, you know, ran on the infield grass to, you know, to uh, – to uh, interfere with the throw. He ran in a straight line, right to the bag. It never wavered. And where, what is he supposed to do? I know that lane is to the right of him. Is he supposed to jump over there, get in that lane just before hitting the bag, and then take a, a left-hand turn back to the first base and tag it? I, I just thought it was uh, – uh, I just think you've got to have feel there. And I know umpires, you know, I thought he did a great job behind the plate, calling balls and strikes. But I think you've got to have some feel. You've got to have some recognition for the part of the game you're in and the impact that, that call made unless Rendon hits a home run. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a franchise changer. That's a, that, caught, that may have cost him the World Series. Yeah. At that point in the game, it was only a one-run lead, I believe, at the time for the Nationals that would have set, the, uh, set Washington up with, with second and third and nobody out. And instead, Leon Gomes has to go back to first. And, uh, you know, two batters later, Rendon steps up and, and hits the, the big home run. Uh, like, like you were saying before, the, uh, the happiest guy in the ballpark was probably Joe Torrey, uh, the, the vice president of baseball uh, rules and operations and, and whatnot. Uh, he's sitting 10 feet away from Trey Turner in the dugout getting uh, the dagger stares. And, uh, and Turner, Turner was yelling at him. He oh, goes, go it, ask him. Go ask Tori. He's sitting right there. The hot mic. Yeah, that was, that was the best part was that on the broadcast, you could, you could hear everything Turner was saying. And, you know, he wasn't cursing or they, or they were at least bleeping it out. But, uh, yeah, that was, it was great to watch that, that sort of unfold. It, 
the the 10 minutes of you know hey we're going to get on the headset and, and make sure that we're, yeah. we're all of our p's and q's are crossed that's uh that's sort of off-putting a little bit because it turns out and we find out later that they weren't reviewing the play and they weren't uh you know lodging any formal protest or anything like that it was all just to make sure that uh the nationals couldn't protest and couldn't challenge right. the play and whatnot so and then and then I guess, you know, I, I'm, sh I'm still not exactly sure why Martinez got kicked out of the game because it sounded like from what I, what I heard, you know, we, you can only watch it on TV. We're not there. And, uh, you know, when they came back from a uh, commercial, he was gone. You know, right. Joe Buck just said, oh, by the way, he got ejected. And then when you see, you know, the video of it, I guess one of the umpires told him to get his dugout in order because everybody was going berserk in there. And he lost it, and, wow. and he came out and, and was screaming. I mean, this is a guy that just had a heart attack, right? <laughs> right, right. I'm, yeah. I'm sitting there thinking, geez, oh, man, this guy's – they're going to take it's him out. It's not funny. They're going to be carrying him off the field on a stretcher. It's, it's, yeah. it, that, that's the thing. Uh, yeah, if you were following along on Twitter while you were watching, uh, those of us who were doing that knew that when we came back from commercial, Martinez was going to be gone because – Everybody in the – all the reporters in the ballpark who were in my timeline were had all just tweeted, Davey Martinez has just been ejected. So that was we, – we sort of wanted to see the commercial break end. It was, it was really great theater to, to get back to. But, uh, yeah, that's – and speaking from uh, the point of an official who, you know, I, I have, have a little bit of experience in, in, in that uh, regard – uh, the best thing in that situation is not to antagonize the bench that way, and, and that's exactly what happened. And and then you got to we wind up having to throw somebody out, which is yeah. not what you want to do. I believe he was the first manager ejected since Bobby Cox in in like '96 or, or something like that, uh, which is you know pretty impressive that they've gone this long with. Yeah. Uh, uh -oh. I mean, they've got almost you know strangle an umpire to get thrown out, and I guess he came pretty close. It looked well, like. It's uh, it was Chip Hale, the uh, the the bench coach for the the Nationals, who who needs to work on his blocking technique. Obviously, he looked he looked like he was the left tackle for the Browns, basically. Uh, you know, just letting Martinez get to Holbrook a couple of times. And, uh, yeah, I actually tweeted at uh, Joe Thomas to see if he'd respond about uh, about Chip Hale's technique, but uh, didn't hear anything back. Uh, so you know, we we got past that point. We're we're past this. Uh, just a, a real quick, just your, your thought on what would make the rule better or what change do you think would be, would improve the situation moving forward, not just in the World Series, but, you know, like you said, this, this rule is a, we, we saw from a number of Indians players who were watching online and they tweeted their thoughts. Uh, Mike Clevenger, Jason Kipnis, Mike Freeman all chimed in. Uh, even Josh Tomlin, a former Indians pitcher, you know, uh, you know, chimed in when Rendon hit the, uh, hit the home run, said, ball don't lie. But, uh, uh, you know, they all think the rule kind of stinks. What change do you think needs to be made in order to make it better? I think, you know, I don't see how, you know, I rarely see a guy running that, you know, go to the right of the, 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 the first baseline and running those two lanes. I, when, when he's going down to first base, I except the guy hits a home run and he does, he kind of Cadillacs it around first base. But I think you just, unless you knowingly veer, veer one way or the other, veer right. onto the infield grass to, to uh, obstruct the throw. I, you know, I, 
I don't see any reason for that lane to be there, that, that extra lane. And I know, you know, some people say it's to protect uh, the first baseman. So, you know, he doesn't – if the throw is in on the runner and, and the first baseman, you know, can pull back or gets hit, he doesn't break his arm, you know. So maybe that that's a way to protect him. Right. Well, it's like what you're saying, if, if 90% of the runners don't utilize the lane, then, then why even bother having it? it? It seems to me like that lane – is completely useless for a right-handed batter in particular who hits a ball on the infield because they're, right. they're never going to make it into that box. A left-handed batter is coming from a different spot. Maybe he makes a different angle, but a right-handed batter is almost always going to run on the infield grass there, and, and that's just because it's the most direct line to the, to the bag. Uh, you know, that box sort of functions the same way a batter's box does. It protects the, the batter-runner from you know the, he, he has rules protections while he's in that lane yeah it, just like he has rules protections when he's in the box if he steps out of the batter's box and interferes with a catcher or something like that you know he there's nothing you can do about it but uh i, I just maybe maybe extending that onto the the skin portion of the 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 uh, the lane there uh, uh maybe a foot before it touches the grass i don't know if that's a mechanical thing that can be changed. But I think adding language to the rule itself that focuses on the intent of the runner. Trey Turner never intended or acted in any way to interfere. He didn't run down the line like Alex Rodriguez and smack the ball out of somebody's glove in, in 2003. Uh, really? He didn't, you know, take a big step at right, right in front of the bag, take a big step in front of Gurriel to intentionally make contact. The contact was caused because of uh, Brad Peacock's terrible throw, which is the kind of throw you're going to get from a, 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 a pitcher nine out of ten times in that situation, one that tails back into the runner and causes your first baseman to lose an arm. So uh, it's something for the – you know for sure the competition committee is going to meet and talk about this in the offseason. And for all of the ridiculous rules proposals that we've gotten in the last two years, about pace of play and about not changing pitchers and innings and, and all that kind of stuff. It, this is one that they could probably clear up with one or two meetings. Yeah, you would think. And, and you know, as usual, there'll be some unintended consequences. But, you know, rather, I think it, that looks like an antiquated rule to me. So I think you could, I think you could, you, you could change that and, and, or put the, or move first base over between the two out, you know, the, oh. the, the alley. I, I saw. I saw a proposal. Well, you, you, if you had the orange bag like you have in softball, when is that, When are we going to see the the orange safety bag from beer league softball? <laughs> and uh, you and the uh, the the firefighters that you play, uh, you know, Friday night softball beer league with. Oh, that's that 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 is not happening. I can tell you that right now. That's <laughs> uh, 150 years right there. Harold Reynolds said Abner Doubleday must have been a left-handed hitter when he invented baseball to, <laughs> to invent that alley down to first base. Wow. Because you're right, Joe. A right-handed hitter is never going to go in there. Rarely is he going to run in that, in, that, in that lane. Yeah. All right. Well, what that does, uh, what the result of the game ultimately does give us is uh, a, a Game 7, two best words in, uh, in all of baseball. Game 7, World Series. Uh, of course, the uh, Indians fans have – Lots of feelings about hearing Game 7 over the last couple of years since 2016, hosting a Game 7 here. 
that didn't turn out the way uh, Tribe fans wanted it. But uh, like we said, four out of the last six years, three out of the last four, the uh, the Fall Classic has gone to a seventh game. Uh, as far as uh, Commissioner Manfred and, and everybody is concerned, I'm sure that uh, extending uh, these these series all the way to Game Seven is a uh, is is a bonus for everybody. Oh yeah, <clears throat> the players' pool, players' pension pool is is happy. They get a cut now, and uh, you know the the owners are happy. And in, in uh, Houston and Washington, they've made they've maxed out as much as they can. And uh, and uh, you know I I would imagine the players are you know especially Washington after playing such so poorly at home, scoring three runs in three games at home, and then coming back and scoring seven. Um, in game six to force this, you know, it, it's got to be exciting. I, I'm, you know, this pitching matchup, you know, Granky hasn't pitched that great this whole postseason. Mm-hmm. And Scherzer couldn't get out of bed two days ago because of a stiff neck. He had to get a cortisone shot. So, you know, just how long is Scherzer going to last? That's, that's my question. I think both of these uh, starting pitchers probably won't factor uh, very much in the decision one way or the other. Uh, and, and like you said, I, I think, hell, this keeps your, uh, your prediction in line. Yeah. I think you predicted uh, Nats and seven. Uh, was that, was that your call? Yeah. Was lucky. I, I had, I had Astros and six and I had my chance last night. Uh, it, it didn't come through, but uh, the, the pitching matchups have, have just been, outstanding in, in uh, up to this point just on paper going into each yeah. the, the pitching matchups have uh last night we finally got out of Strasburg this uh this outing that that sort of we were expecting from all these Cy Young winners uh you know eight and a third and I, I thought he could have finished the game you could have saved Doolittle for for tonight but uh just the way that these pitchers have sort of responded is, has been impressive and, and of course you've got Verlander who's, who's gone now 0 for 6 in his career and in World Series games, yeah, I, I felt bad for Verlander. Oh, don't I mean, tell me you felt bad for Verlander. <laughs> felt bad for Verlander. Just, you know, he gives up the two dongs late or in the fifth inning, and and uh, uh, but you know, I mean, he he's he's reinvented himself. You know what? At thirty six, you know, he's had two great years. He just can't. I think he just runs out of. You know, he's just tired. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he's thirty six, thirty seven, and he's pitched. This is a long season. It's a long grind. He hasn't. He really hasn't pitched that well in the postseason. So, I think, you know, age catches up to you, I think, a little bit. Yeah, he's, he's reinvented himself, but he's still the most paranoid pitcher in baseball, thinking that everybody's <laughs> stealing his signs. So, I, I, have hard, I have a hard time rooting for Justin Verlander in, in any way, uh, you know. But, sure, okay, he's got a real nice girlfriend, whatever. I don't really – I'm just going from that. Uh, let's, uh, let's jump into questions here and, uh, and see uh, our, our listeners and our readers have, uh, have sent – Submitted some questions. What do you got for us? Uh, these could be on on anything really, uh, but probably mostly tribe related. This is uh, from Mike L- uh, Luck in Gahanna, Ohio. Huh. Uh, why didn't Sandy Alomar or Omar Vizquel get any consider consideration, Joe? I think uh, we first of all we don't know. You know, <laughs> there's been, there was eight openings at the start of the off season. Obviously, some have been filled, but I, I've seen names that I didn't even know were interviewing for jobs. So, you know, we don't know that. I, but I did talk to Alomar uh, recently, and he said he hasn't been called mm-hmm. or he hasn't, uh, been, hasn't interviewed. I don't know about Omar. Omar is, you know, managing 
in the White Sox uh, system. Yeah, I, think, I think he was like high A. Omar wants to do, yeah, Omar wants to become a big league manager, but he wants to do it the old-fashioned way. He, he actually wants to manage. Right. Think about that. <laughs> All these guys, there's so many guys that, that get, you know, that are managing in the big leagues for the first time have never, have never managed before. And, uh, you know, I think it's a trend among front offices where they, they want to hire a young guy who's analytically inclined and they can control. You know, you're not going to tell, you know, now we've seen Joe Girardi get a job with the Phillies and Madden with the Angels. And I'm, I'm sure those guys are open to analytics, but they've also got a wealth of experience. And when you hire those guys, you know, you know, you're not going to, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to be making the lineups out. You know, you can make suggestions for the lineups, mm -hmm. but if you're a GM, you're not, you're not sending the, 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 the manager the lineup that, that day. So, you know, then stuff like that. But, uh, you know, I think that plays into, you know, why maybe a guy like Sandy hasn't gotten a, a shot. Uh, you know, four or five years ago, he was a very hot candidate. You know, he, 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 uh, he made, he interviewed a lot. And, uh, and I think, uh, I don't know, you know, I, I just don't know. I, I think the trend now, is to hire younger guys, kind of, you know, out of box, out of the box guys thinking, you know, and um, and I don't know if Sandy falls into that category. And I think there was also Sandy also had a problem of being the minority candidate. You know, mm -hmm. I think you know just getting a, you know, being okay. We've got to hire a minority. Or we've got to interview a minority. And I think you know you 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 know when you're you're when it's a real interview and when you know you're just getting paid lip service. With Omar, I don't know if he's been contacted. I, I would think Omar's got to manage a little more and uh, get some more experience. Right. Like you said, the path that Omar has chosen to go with that, uh, it, that's the one where you got to sort of grind it out a little more, spend a few more seasons, you know, working your way up through a, a system to get there. And it really depends on the system that you're you're in. If you're in the White Sox system, maybe in a couple of years, there's, you know, more opportunities or whatnot. But uh, hell, Omar should have just gone into the uh, the radio booth or the the TV booth, and you know it looks like, like you said, they're they're hiring Aaron Boone off of ESPN. I, I mean, that's that, that's a guy who's never managed a game in his life, and yeah, nothing against Boone, he's done a good job, right? Exactly. I mean, I, you know, there's got to be a reason you 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 hire guys that that have never you know been in the been managed before i mean you know i think the, the role has changed you've got to be more of a you know you've got to be more of a relationship guy uh and you know th there's also you know i've heard different schools of thought with sandy maybe he there you know he's he's waiting until see what happens with tito tito's what right through 2020 20 22 i think mm -hmm. he got extended and uh maybe sandy is a manager and waiting here he feels like that i, I don't know and, you know, maybe it's a case where, uh, you know, when Tito does hang it up in 2022, that that Sandy doesn't get a chance just because, like you said, they're going to they're, they want to look for younger guys with the, a, a different sort of approach. But uh, I think a lot of Indians fans would be very happy to see Sandy Alomar slide over into that seat at some point and, and sort of keep things moving in the, in, in the same direction. This is from Joe Eversall from uh... – Pelham, Alabama. If if we if the Indians could sign Didi Gregorius, would you trade Lindor to the Yankees, who who want him and need a shortstop for uh, Clint Frazier and Andujar, and perhaps a high pitching prospect? 
You could play Frazier in left, Andujar at third, Gregorius at short, Ramirez at second, and Santana at first. And Perez, Naquin, or Luplo, and Mercado and Reyes would give the Indians a strong one through nine lineup. A couple of things with that. Uh, We don't know what Andujar's status is going to be in terms of health. Uh, He had season-ending surgery, I believe shoulder surgery. Right. Uh, so I, I would say your your return would have to be Andujar plus, you know, a, a major league ready infielder to, to sort of, you know, help in that situation. Uh, also, signing Gregorius uh, is not a, a, a sure thing. I mean, he's probably going to look for a multi-year deal and it's probably going to be more than the Indians are willing or able to afford in, in that situation. And he's coming off Tommy John too, right? Right, but he played majority of the season, so I I think his health concerns are probably, you know, not as as deep as as Andahar. Uh, Yeah, (laughs) and it's also, do you want to make a trade that, you know, might not make you any stronger, but definitely makes your your rival, you know, that much stronger? I I, I, I don't know. I... if you're going to deal Lindor, deal him in the National League, as far as I'm concerned. That's a good point, Joe. And, and you know, the only reason we, we think the Yankees are available is because one of the writers, uh, a New York columnist, wrote that this would be a great idea. They should, the Yankees should go and get Lindor. So, you know, I'm sure there's interest in Lindor. I, I, I'm sure. But, you know, we, we, you know, that, you know, don't write that in stone. You know, we, we right. do not know that. Right. If you've not talked to anybody or, or, or gotten any indication that, hey, you know, hey, there's something big's brewing or something like that, don't just sit down and, and speculate and say this would be nice to have Lindor, wouldn't it? Well, yeah, it'd be nice. It'd be nice for the Indians to have Aaron Judge in right field. I, I, if I wrote that tomorrow, uh, you know, it's not like anybody's going to believe it. I, I don't see why. But uh, so, so far this offseason, we've heard uh, Lindor to the Yankees. We heard last week Lindor to the Dodgers. Uh, what other teams could possibly take on Lindor in a trade and would have anything, you know, worth getting back? Yeah, I mean, what, this is going to go on all all mm-hmm. winter. You know, my, I'm, you know, I, you know, if I if I my, my I think. I basically think he's going to be on the team next year. I, I think he's going to be the opening day shortstop. But, you know, like we've talked about before, this is, to me, this is the ideal time to trade him if you're going to trade him. But, you you know, you've got to hit a home run with this deal. You can't, you can't screw around. You can't screw it up. And uh, you've got to get a lot back in return because whoever gets him is getting him for two years. And then if they do get him, you've got to think a team – that, that makes a deal for Lindor, a potential deal, it has got the wherewithal to try to sign him to an extension. So the last yeah. thing you want to do, the last thing I think the Indians want to see is Francisco Lindor playing shortstop uh, for 10 years for the New York Yankees and having him come in and, and beat, beat them, you know, six, six times a year, whatever it is. Yeah, that, that definitely nowhere in the division and, you know, preferably nowhere in the in the same league if that's possible. But, uh, you know, that, that's not really something. And, you know, history has shown, last, last offseason showed, the Indians had two trade chips all of last offseason. And, you know, whether or not the reports were accurate about what they were getting offers on, they weren't blown away enough to – 
to, to make a deal for Corey Kluber or Trevor Bauer during the offseason. We, we don't know for sure what kind of offers they got, but it, like you said, would have to be something, you know, just a, a, a mega blockbuster deal to, to move Lindor at this point. Uh, they've already said they, they expect him to be the, be the, you know, a, a key piece for them next season. So uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much where they are. I, but Hey, you guys keep throwing out your, your trade proposals and your ideas and submitting them in questions or tweeting them at us. And, and we'll keep looking at them and going, sure. What the, why not? Here's another one, Joe, uh, from Michael Hoffman. Uh, he wrote several questions, but here's, here's one. Ask several questions. How about a lifetime contract for Lindor? <laughs> payable over 15 to 20 years level, lower his tax bite, but more importantly, build a strong competitive team around him. What do you think about that? I, you know, Joe, you know, that, that question kind of reminds me of how the, you know, the, the Indians and the Manny Ramirez, you know, when, when Ramirez uh, was a free agent, hit a home run in his final his bat with the Indians and then signed you know, like a $180, $190 million deal with Boston. It turns out in, in talking, you know, a couple of years later and talking to uh, Manny's agent at the time, um, the Indians actually offered him more money than, than, than the Red Sox. But it was, it was, uh, you know, it was all backdated. It was all look back, you know, it was all, you know, deferred payments, you know, probably going back, going stretching to 2050, you know, mm -hmm. and, right. and they just didn't want to do that. And from my experience, that sounds like what this uh, our writer wants to do, but I think these guys want their money up front. You know, I think they want it as close to, you know, they, they want to, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, Francisco made $10 million this year. So, you know, he's not going to starve. But right. uh, I think these guys want their money, you know, where, where they can see it, that it's they don't have to be collecting checks when they're still uh, 70 years old. Or, or maybe they do, but I, I just don't see that happening. Right. And and don't forget, Lindor, uh, sign, I believe he had a, what, a $2 million signing bonus when, when, they, when they drafted him. Right. You know, it was, it was a pretty – it was a record signing bonus for the Indians at least. When they when they signed him first, he's had uh, New Balance endorsements and, and other things to to sort of offset uh, working on minimum contracts. The first you know three years he was he was up in the bigs, so he he was comfortable, like you said. And then now is the time in in that progression when he goes for the, you know the the first arbitration year was a ten million dollar contract. He's expected to be in the sixteen to seventeen million dollar range for arbitration this year. And as high as twenty three, twenty five million, maybe, you know, next year, and and then then you get into the conversation of can the Indians afford twenty five million dollars for the last year of of Francisco Lindor, and that's not even a sure thing. So, uh, yeah, lifetime contract sounds like a great idea, and it, it it's there's two sides to this whole thing. Lindor, like you said, is going to want the money, and and by Chris Antonetti's own admission. And he said this in a, in the, the um, end of the season uh, interview, he said Lindor deserves to get what he's valued at and, and, and make that money. That's what he's earned. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't see Lindor's side. If they haven't 
sat down at the table even to negotiate yet, I don't see them even agreeing to something like that. And this, Joe, these things are about ego too. If Bryce Harper is getting uh, thirty to forty million a year, mm-hmm. you know they and, and Manny Machado's getting those same kind of contracts. Lindor wants his numbers to be comparable to those guys. It's, so, if, and if you defer a contract, that probably means you know you're not getting paid as much right now. Your right. A, a, annual average value, your AAV is not going to be as high as as those guys. And uh, and when you talk about lifetime contracts, it sounds great. But look at Albert Pujols and the Angels. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically, he signed a lifetime contract with St. Louis, I believe. Or I think, no, well, with the Angels. Know, they inherited that from St. Louis. No, maybe was, not. No, no, they no, didn't. Was, the Angels signed him. Yeah, right. And and they're kind of and and you know that he's breaking down now. He can still he can hit still hit home runs, but that's about all he can do. So, you know, there's there's a pro and a con to uh, you know, I don't know how long would you know Lindor's 24 now. Do you? What's he going to look like at 34, 35? You know, that's... yeah, I think if you get him for 10 years starting right now, you're fine. But, uh, you know, anything beyond that, it, it, like you said, you've got Pujols, you've got Miguel Cabrera. Those are guys that are, it, it's, it's actually kind of, I don't want to say sad, but it's, it's tough to watch Miguel Cabrera go out there every year and, and not be able to swing the bat. And, and, and as well as, as we know, he's a Hall of Famer. I mean, that's, that's the way it is. We, and we see him 19 times a year now. All right. We got one more. One more. This is from Jim from Newton Falls. Uh, do you think the new rule that relief pitchers have to face three batters will impact the kind of no- – will impact the number and type of relief pitchers the Indian uh, Tito keeps in 2020? And does it spell the end of the uh, left-on-left reliever? Uh <laughs> The the Indians have Oliver Perez, who appeared in enough games to activate his uh, his uh, vesting uh, clause or whatever, and, and so now they're stuck with him for three million dollars next year. Uh, Oliver Perez, it, I I can't see him facing three batters an inning every time he goes. Is he really going to do that? Uh, it, it's going to yeah. make it real tough. It, it's going to make it real tough to keep. Oliver Perez for an entire season next year, and we and and as and as far as I know, these that rule isn't written in stone yet. No, you know, it, there's no guarantee that that rule is coming next year. Yeah, I mean, and and I think there's still there's a lot of an opposition to it. I know Frank Kona doesn't like it. You know, it really it really affects the way he manages. Right. And uh, so and but I think you know I think Perez has been a starter. He's been a long guy. He's been a closer. You know, this, he's done a lot of stuff in his career, so I think he could make the adjustment. Now, a guy like uh, you know Tyler Olson, mm-hmm. you know that that's you know side arming lefty, you know kind of ideal left on left guy. I, you know, what does that do to him? That's that's a that, you know that's a question. And but I think I think and you know what about Adam Simber? I mean, oh. he, you know, he right on right. I mean, he's, you know, very good against righties, not so good, and lefties beat him up a little bit. So, you know, I think those guys are going to have to make an adjustment. I think, I don't think you can just flush all those guys out of the league. And and that's one of the reasons why the Players Association is so adamantly opposed to that. It's like, like you said, it, it it's going to cut their numbers significantly. It, it forces the pitchers, like you said, to, to be a little more, uh, you know, to make those adjustments and to be a little more versatile, but not everybody can do that. Like, like you said, there's 
there's guys who are only effective against left-handers or only effective against right-handers. So, uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. I, I, I don't, I, I, I can't see them just forcing this rule down the league's throat. I think it, it, it's, I don't really see it coming in next year, but you know, who knows? Stranger things have happened. Yeah, we'll see. All right. Well, uh, the last, uh, last thing we wanted to get into here a little bit, I wanted to throw out a, a hypothetical. This was a, an idea that uh, sort of came up. This is in a world where, you know, players are willing to negotiate and, and sit down and, and take these deals or, or whatnot. And we've seen this with uh, extensions being signed by younger players throughout the league, uh, Ronald Acuna and, and, and others. Uh, but uh, I'll give you two scenarios. Scenario A, you can sign – an extension with Francisco Lindor for one year beyond 2021. So his first year of free agent eligibility. So that would guarantee you having Lindor for 2020, 2021, and 2022. Uh, you know, numbers don't matter in terms of the, the millions and dollars, dollar figures or whatnot. Uh, just know that you would have Lindor for, for the next three years. Or scenario B, you could sign uh, Shane Bieber, and Mike Clevenger each for two years beyond their final arbitration years. So by their first two years of free agent eligibility each, uh, Bieber can become a free agent in 2025. Clevenger can become a free agent in 2023. So basically you would lock up Bieber and Clevenger uh, through 2025 and 2027 uh, would be uh, uh, the minimum for for those guys to, to have them in the organization. Uh, which do you choose? Would you would you rather have Lindor locked up for three, or guarantee your pitching rotation uh, to have two top level guys through twenty twenty seven? Paul, what what would you pick? That's a great question, Joe. It's a great uh, a great debate question. I you know I I I would go with the pitching. I think that's the, the Indians' strong suit. I think the Indians got some young young middle infielders coming. Uh, I, and, uh, if you give me Bieber through, uh, through 2027, you give me Clevenger through 2025, that means I've got those guys for a combined 12 years starting in two years are, are volatile, you know, their health. We've seen that. We saw that this past season, but, uh, I think those guys are young enough and strong enough where. I think you could build not only build your rotation around them, but you could build your team around them. You know, this, the Indians are, are basically have been a pitching team. You know, I'd hate to see Lindor go, but I have got to I've got to stick with with pitchers. I think they're they're the most expensive thing to go out and get. You've got to develop your own pitchers, and if I can extend those guys and keep them you know, extend their window here and keep them past their free agent years, I would definitely do it. Okay. Uh, I'm going to take the other side. Uh, I, I would definitely uh, hold on to three years of, of Francisco Lindor. A uh, couple of reasons why. You've already got Bieber and Clevenger in that three-year window. So you would have Lindor in addition to those three during that time. And that's your three-year window right there to put something together uh, before Lindor would go out on the open market. Uh, Francisco Lindor is a generational talent. Uh, we, we don't see the combination of uh, not just bat skills, but the, the surprising power surge from the last few seasons 
uh, and the, the top flight defense that, that he gives you. Um, whether or not Francona or Lindor himself want to admit it, he, he is the, that leader right now uh, that they were looking for. Uh, you know, we saw last season when Leonis Martin uh, sort of Cadillac the ball in early on in the season, uh, a week later he was gone. Uh, and that was something that, you know, Frankie got up in his face about. Uh, he gives you everything to, to sort of build uh, this, this championship run window around. And I, I don't see how you pass up adding another year of him in that regard. Uh, also, because I, I believe that the, the organization has shown that it can develop young pitchers like Bieber and Clevenger. Uh, and there's no reason to believe that a guy like an Ethan Hankins or somebody you know sitting down in the minors can't come up and do exactly what they've done uh, in the last couple of seasons here. So it's not like the well is completely dry on the, uh, on, on the pitching side either uh, if you're looking towards the future in that regard. Uh, yeah, I, I don't see how you pass up a, a guy who – in in the in the next ten years is going to be working himself into a you know potential Hall of Fame conversation if if he continues on the trajectory that he's been on. Yeah, that, that's a, it's a it's a good question, and I, I agree with your points, but I I've got to go. I've got to stick with the I've got to stick with the pitching. I've got to mm-hmm. stick with Clevenger and Bieber. I just think uh, those those are two guys that are too hard to uh you, i don't know how many chances you're going to get at extending those guys right you know the the, more, the longer they pitch the more success they have i think it's going to be tougher to extend them so if i've got a chance to do that right now i've got to do it i would think and i and i wrote this earlier in the off season i would think out of any of them bieber would be the one that you could probably convince right now to to sort of take like a, a Corey kluber type contract you know, he's, he's had, you know, two outstanding seasons. He's early on. You could, you know, give him a little bit of money up front, lock him up for, you know, he's only scheduled to make over the next two seasons. He's only scheduled to make the, the league minimum. Uh, and, you know, that's tough. You could give him a nice little payday up front and, you know, like we said, backload that contract where you've got option years on the end of it and, and you could have him for a while. I think uh, you just mentioned Clevenger is is getting closer. You know, he sort of sees the light at the end of the tunnel in terms of uh, he's 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 going to be in arbitration this year. He's going to make a, a, a decent uh, salary this year, and he's only going to be you know after after now two years away from going out on the mar- on the market on his own. Yeah, and I you know, and I think uh, you know, I don't know how much uh, Trevor Bauer influenced these guys. You know, they were. They were really tight, Bauer mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, Clevenger and, and Bieber. How much his influence uh, on his desire to go one year at a time and and go to arbitration and you know and bang heads with the organization every year and at negotiating, uh, you know at at the, at the arbitration table. Although he he did accept he didn't go to arbitration the first year, just the last two. So you know I don't know how much that influence so how much influence he has or still has on these guys. So I, if I've got a chance, I've got to extend those guys now. Yeah, I, well, hopefully Bieber will be influenced more by the Corey Kluber model than the Trevor Bauer model in, in a lot of aspects, I, I, I'm, I'm going to say that. All right, well, uh, what are your plans for watching the, uh, the Game 7 tonight? Are you just going to 
uh, you know, kick back with some Cheetos and, uh, and a beverage. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and I think it. so. Yeah, definitely. Uh, how, It'll how be can, exciting. How can you not be glued to this? Uh, it, it, I just hope for a competitive game. That's all I want. I, and you're not going to see any, you know, eighth inning rain delays or any other, you know, garbage like that because I got a roof on a stadium down there. So that's right. Yeah, and uh, and what? Uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah, I mean, and really, Joe, it's you know, if if you're being honest, it's been. I know it's game seven, but you know, game six was the best game of the series. It's been kind of a yawner up until game six because. You know, either team has scored early and it's kind of ended, you know. The real right. really hasn't been any really dramatic plays, you know, big innings. You know, that, that it just uh, – it's kind of lacked that, uh, that, that buzz until, yes, until last night. So, hopefully, uh, game seven, that, that, that momentum, that, that uh, kind of vibe carries over into game seven and we see a classic. Yeah, everybody will be up for this one. It, it, you don't have a pulse if you're not ready for this, uh, you know, in that ballpark tonight. So, uh, great to talk to you again uh, this week, Paul. Uh, as as we get ready for the the off season roller coaster and all the uh, the awards and then free agency and and everything that all starts that starts tomorrow, pretty much. So, yeah, so, uh, uh, fun to fun to be following that. We'll uh, we'll keep track of it, and we'll talk to you again next week on the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. All right, Joe. Thanks, man.